Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through historical Chinese dramas. This is Kathy. And this is Karen. Today, we will discuss episode 21 of The Story of Minglan or Zhifo, Zhifo, Ying Shi Lu Fei Hong Shou. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain Chinese phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter or else email us at Karen and Kathy at ChasingDramas.com if you have any questions. For today's episode, we will do an episode recap, then discuss the history brought up during the episode and analyze some of the characters and then close with some book differences. Alrighty, let's start off with a recap. In the last two episodes, our main male character, Gu Tingye, was struck with a double whammy. His father died, and his mistress fled with his son. Poor guy. So we'll see what happens. Chang Momo, Gu Tingye's wet nurse, helps Gu Tingye prepare for his father's funeral. Gu Tingye is wearing white and has a light hemp jacket, the traditional clothes for a funeral. It is a grand funeral procession, but Gu Tingye is not allowed to or doesn't want to participate. He only watches on the sidelines in full funeral attire with his good friend Sheng Changbai. Honestly, from the comments and in my view, Sheng Changbai and Gu Tingye are probably the best couple in the drama. Just saying. Gu Tingye's older brother, Gu Tingyu, leads the procession as the eldest son and new marquee. After paying his respects, Gu Tingye leaves the city with his daughter, Rongjie, and loyal servant, Shi Tou. Sheng Changbai sees them off. Gu Tingye's top priority is to find his son and vows to comb the entire empire to find him. He's off to Jianghu, which to folks familiar with Kung Fu shows basically means out of society and hang out with the rougher crowds. The people who you know, are bounty hunters or fighters or you know, part of like Shaolin or Wu-Tang, the clans, so to speak. He is giving up his life as the son of a marquee and bringing his adorable daughter with him to seek his son. We now turn towards the Duke of Qi and his wife, the princess, Ping Ning Junzhu. They are the parents of Qi Hong, the young duke. It's the princess's birthday today, but due to the recent passing of the Marquis of Ningyuan, or Gu Tingye's father, the princess decides to have a low-key birthday this year. The young duke, Qi Hong, is busy preparing presents for his mother. Some of these presents include paintings of his mother, but his actual thoughtful gift is presented during dinner. For dinner, he has requested the services of a chef from Fan Lo, the famous restaurant mentioned quite a few times in the show. What's new about the birthday meal is that the chef will present the meal in a new technique, stir fry. In Mandarin, the word is chao. The princess has never had stir-fried dishes before and is excited to try it out. I never thought about the fact that stir-fry wasn't a common thing during the Song Dynasty, 
But hey, this was almost a thousand years ago. It's cool that stir fry has been around for that long, but also crazy that it wasn't introduced until the Song Dynasty. I mean, stir fry is a staple of Chinese cuisine today. We will talk about this more in our historical analysis. After an amazing dinner, for the last present, the young Duke Qi Hong has his servant bring in revolving lanterns or zhou ma deng with paintings of his mother on them. It is quite an extravagant sight, and the princess is beyond thrilled. I mean, if my son did that for me, I'd be very happy too. Very pleased, the conversation after dinner turns towards Ti Hung's future. The princess still wants him to perform well at the imperial exams and become a jing shi. If you recall, he didn't do so well uh, in the last exams. The duke, so Ti Hung's father, agrees. Once Ti Hung becomes a jing shi, he will be able to marry well. Ti Hung, however, changes the direction of the conversation. He thinks that he should marry before entering court. The princess, face still serene, immediately changes the tone and asks, What do you mean? Qi Hung confesses that he has someone in his heart. After two sentences, the princess guesses that it is Sheng Ming Lan and immediately turns icy towards her son. She now understands why he put in so much effort for her birthday. It really wasn't for her birthday. It was for this exact moment and ask, so that he can discuss the option of marriage to Sheng Minglan. The princess promptly rejects the notion. The house of Qi cannot afford to lose the face of having their heir marry a Shu Ni from a lowly level five ranking official. Qi Hong pleads for his mother to agree, promising to perform well on the exams next time if he is able to marry Minglan. The duke offers a compromise. He says, let's make Minglan a high-ranking concubine, or Gui Qie. Qi Hong, to his credit, rejects this. The princess is now pissed. Qi Hong tries his best to persuade his mother. In another sign of the strict social stratification of the time, Qi Hong doesn't list out Minglan's actual good qualities. He lists out Minglan's family's qualifications as justifications for her being able to marry him. He knows that's all the princess cares about. After a little bit more conversation, the princess, in a surprising reversal, agrees to attend the wedding of Sheng Changbai. So she will go to the Sheng family manor. Qi Hong is ecstatic. This is great news. He believes he persuaded her. Or actually, him and his father both agree that, uh, or both believe that uh, she will agree. Oh, buddy, how naive you are. The uh, excited Qi Hong has his servant sneak a word to Minglan's maid, Xiao Tao, notifying her of their impending arrival at her brother's wedding uh, with the expectation of proposing. At least he thinks so. Minglan hears this and immediately informs her grandmother. Grandma Sheng, upon hearing this, 
urgently tells the maid Xiao Tao to never repeat what she heard to anyone. She orders other maids to be on high alert. Ming Lan seems somewhat perplexed by Grandma Sheng's actions. Grandma Sheng hardly asks her about the situation. And Ming Lan tells Grandma Sheng the truth that she already rejected Ti Hong, but she didn't expect Ti Hong to actually bring up marriage to his mother. That's a big step. And Grandma Sheng lays it out for Ming Lan. The differences between the families are too large. Ming Lan will most definitely suffer if she marries into the Ti family. Ming Lan, though, looks like she's wavering. She knows this. We talked about this in episode 16. She is fully aware of what life would be like for her if she marries uh, Ti Hung. But for him to already and actually bring it up to his mom, I think Ming Lan is taking this to say, hmm, maybe he actually does like me rather than just see me as a uh, uh, flirtatious conquest. I mean, I would waver. I would be like, oh my gosh, I got a young, hot duke pining for me, asking for marriage? Of course. The atmosphere abruptly changes. We've cut to this this scene, um, and I honestly don't know why they put it here, perhaps because they needed to move the story forward, but it is here. A small group of men in armor are fleeing a group of what look like bandits. The small group of men are outnumbered and their men keep dying. Who happens to just be wandering in this path? Why, it's Gu Tingye. Well, we get a few really nice scenes of Gu Tingye being a badass. It's quite intense, so I recommend just watch and enjoy. I mean, he just so happens to have like a quiver full of arrows around, but you know, we'll take it. Anywho, it is a TV show after all, so the small group of men are saved by Gu Tingye. He quite literally shoots a man out of midair. That was, that was pretty intense. Well, we find out that the small group of men are protecting a father-son duo, Zhao Zongquan and Zhao Ceying. During the chase, the son yelled that murdering members of the royal family is a crime punishable by nine familial exterminations, or Zhu Jiu The bandits also shout out, they're fighting for Emperor Zhao De. There isn't really a historical counterpart, so this name was probably created just for the show. However, these two phrases hint that Zhao Zongquan and Zhao Ceying are probably very much related to the current royal household. I mean, if someone wants to murder them, they must be pretty important. The two thank Gu Tingye, who only introduces himself as Bai Ye, which is his mother's last name. At this point, after being kicked out of the Gu family, Gu Tingye has decided he will not allow himself to use this identity anymore. Thus, he is called Bai Ye. After the rescue, he turns around and we see his daughter on a horse uh, led by his servant Shu Tao. She starts waving and he's like, hi. I mean, she just totally missed her father being a badass, but also very good that she was out of harm's way. We will see more of the storyline in the future. 
To be quite honest, I sometimes forget this scene happens because it's like so oddly placed. Kind of cuts up the episode and is kind of like a um, an afterthought almost. Well, the end or the rest of the episode shifts gears back to the hot mess that is Ming Lan's courtyard and how she's managing the household. To be honest, I feel like this storyline just dragged on. It's been what, like seven or eight episodes where the household is still a hot mess? In any case, Ning Lan has laid the trap for long enough and now she needs to bring in the net. The instigation of this conflict in the yard is the pending marriage of the second brother, Sheng Changbai. He's to marry a woman from the Hai family. As is customary, Wang Danyangzi's headmaid brings over the dowry listing uh, from the new sister-in-law. Minglan understands that it's technically not her place to look at her new sister-in-law's dowry list, um, as she will have a higher status in the family once she uh, marries in. So Minglan just does a very brief once-over of the list. You're supposed to look at it as the manager of the household, which is normally Wang Danyangzi, but since Milan has this position, she uh, looks at the, the list. All that is fine, and in my view, again, reflects that uh, Milan is very humble and knows her place. She is not going to pretend like she's anything above her true station, because who knows, Wang Danyangzi may have asked uh, the maid to bring this list over to see whether or not Minglan remembers that she's just a shunyu and the sixth daughter of the household. Anyways, the new sister-in-law had brought gifts, even though she's not here, had brought gifts for Minglan and the rest of the sisters. And the gifts are a box of hair accessories, which Minglan can then use to give to her friends or for her maids. Minglan takes this opportunity to gift it to her maids, which causes quite a conflict. One of the maids, Ying Xing, cries her eyes out at seeing the gifts because, of course, she likes the second brother, Chang Bai. So she's upset at seeing him marry. One of the other maids ridicules her for this behavior, and then a cat fight breaks out. You could say that this is perfect timing because Wang Danyangzi's head maid saw the scuffle and immediately went to tattle to Wang Danyangzi. They all think that Milan is too weak. They think Milan doesn't want to punish or maybe doesn't know how to uh, manage these maids or how the fact that these maids could potentially threaten the reputation of the entire family and the pending marriage of Changbai. Well, of course, Wang Danyangzi can't have that, so... She storms into Minglan's courtyard to clean house. She's willing to remove her spies, so to speak, in order for her son to not have any issues with his marriage. As we saw with Gu Tingye, a marriage proposal can fall apart very easily, and Wang Danyangzi wants to prevent her son from getting his marriage foiled by the likes of some maids. So... Wang Danyangzi arrives with a demanding presence, and you can tell all the maids kneeling on the ground are immediately frightened. At first, Milan is still like, Mother, I already punished them, to which Wang Danyangzi totally ignores her and says, Milan, you need to better manage these maids. Let me show you how it's done. 
It's actually quite satisfying to watch how Wang Danyangzi deals with these maids. The first maid she reprimands is the daughter of her head maid. This maid didn't receive too heavy of a punishment other than pulling her back to Wang Danyangzi's yard to serve so as not to cause more trouble. The next maid, maid number two, was the one seen chatting with the third brother Chang Feng in a uh, prior episode. Wang Danyangzi straight up tells her servants to beat this maid and send her back to Lin Xiaoyang, who sent this maid to Minglan's place in the first place. To oversee this punishment, she tells maid number three to count the beatings. Maid number three is the one we saw earlier that was crying over a second brother's pending marriage. This scares maid number three to no end and is also brought back to Wang Danyangzi's yard. And the last maid, maid number four, who has been consistently breaking Minglan's dinnerware and searching through all of her personal belongings, is told to be sold off. We don't need to tell you that that's quite a severe punishment. And with that, all four maids that were gifted to Minglan by both Wang Danyangzi and Lin Xiaoyang when she first became the manager of the household are no longer there. Wang Danyangzi thinks it's because Minglan is too weak, but Grandma Sheng knows better. And in the final scene of this episode, after all this drama happened, Grandma Sheng questions Minglan about what really happened. It turns out, and we'll discuss a little bit more of this later, Minglan's so-called weakness and unwillingness to act wasn't self an act. Our amazing Grandma Sheng saw right through this. Minglan recognized that she had no authority to reprimand these maids because they came from more powerful actors in the family. So Minglan just let these maids believe that they could behave however they wanted. She was waiting for the opportunity for Wang Danyangzi to not be able to take it any longer and deal with these maids herself. That way, Minglan can have a quieter courtyard and rid herself of the spies without it looking like she purposefully did it. It's actually quite ingenious because as we saw in previous episodes, Milan can be really aggressive and powerful when she wants to be. If she really wanted to punish these maids, she absolutely could have, but she knew that the best way to do so was not by her hand. And so this was her plot all along. What a clever girl, right? I love it. And that is it for the episode recap. Now let's turn to some historical analysis. the funeral. At the beginning of the episode, we saw the huge funeral procession for the late Marquis. We talked about Chinese funerals in episode two already, and there's a little more to discuss in a later episode. So we'll consolidate all of our research about Chinese funeral customs later on. Um, so I appreciate your patience on this. Next, well, let's talk about food. Or specifically, let's talk about stir fry or chow. 
In the meantime, we'll also mention a little bit on the history of cooking and uh, cuisine in China. So let's think about it. What is actually needed for stir fry? Well, a wok or guo, and of course, oil. And let's think about what these guo were made of. Well, iron. The earliest types of guo in China were actually called li. These were essentially large iron tripod cauldrons, primarily used for boiling water and cooking rice. Ding then appeared for cooking meat. Over the centuries, ding were used more for rites and rituals, and you'll see many of them today at temples. These are the large tripod cauldrons with handles on the side. So by the time of the Warring States period, over 2,500 years ago, more bronze cookware were also invented. However, the primary method of cooking was still boiling. Also, some of these uh, cookware or some of these cauldrons were also used for torture, but that's another rabbit hole that we won't dive into. <laughs> During the Warring States period, iron was mined for use. However, the amount produced was extremely low. By the time of the Han Dynasty, so roughly 200 BC, the iron and its allocation was still tightly controlled by the government. Iron was used primarily for farm tools and, of course, weapons. Over the centuries, iron production increased. By the time of the Song Dynasty, iron production increased to a point that more common household items such as woks or guo could be produced with iron to some scale. Oil production also experienced similar growth. During the Song Dynasty, oil, whether vegetable oil or animal-produced oil, increased in production so that there was enough oil to actually be used for stir-fry. Now, there aren't many records of chao, or stir-fry, before the Song Dynasty. It's not to say that people didn't stir-fry, but it wasn't very common. There are a couple of recipes that survived from the Northern Wei and Tang Dynasties referencing cooking techniques similar to stir-fry. However, it really was during the Song Dynasty that the stir-fry methodology, or chao, really developed and became popular. This ties back to the availability of iron and of oil. Thinner woks or thinner guos were created and chefs experimented with how oil, heat, and raw ingredients played with each other. Dongjing Meng Hualu, the Eastern Capital, A Dream of Splendor, a travel book first printed in 1187 AD, which is roughly around 130 years after the events of the show, actually documents stir-fry. This book, consisting of 10 volumes, offers a fascinating first-hand account of culture during the Song Dynasty. It includes descriptions of urban life, restaurants, dishes, nightlife, and trade. As I just mentioned, the book clearly includes records of stir-fry dishes. So we know that by this time in the Song Dynasty, stir-fry dishes were part of at least high society and culture. As for the scene in the drama, it was probably true that only nobility could eat stir-fry or pay a hefty sum for it. So it isn't out of um, feasibility that the princess has never had stir-fry before this. We're pretty cool, huh? I mean, I usually just stir-fry my dishes right now. <laughs> I cannot imagine not stir-fry. Next, let's 
briefly talk about the revolving lanterns or zoma deng that Qi Hong created for his mother. The literal translation is horse trotting lanterns. The revolving lanterns can be traditionally seen during the holidays, such as the Lantern Festival or the Mid-Autumn Festival. The earliest records of a type of revolving lantern dates back to the Han Dynasty under a different name. There are clear records of Zoma done by the Southern Song Dynasty or 13th century AD. Here's how the lantern works. There is a frame on the outside uh, with the parchment of a scene that you want to depict. Connecting the frame is a piece of wood or bamboo, what you have. In the middle of the wood, you would have a hanging sort of light paper wheel. There could be little shapes tied to the wheel and the purpose of the wheel is to create a fan. Then for the final piece, light a candle under the wheel. Heat from the candle will turn the wheel, creating the movement from the lantern. People still actually make these uh, lanterns to this day, and they're quite beautiful. During the Southern Song Dynasty, many of the depictions were actually of men riding horses to create the illusion of movement, hence the name Zou Ma Deng, or Horse Trotting Lanterns. The lanterns in the drama are slightly different in the sense that the whole lantern with the frame revolved, but the movement is still there. Thanks, Karen. Now let's get to some character analysis. First up is our young, love-struck duke, Qi Hong. In this episode, he finally makes it known to his parents of his heart's desire. He wants to marry the lovely Minglan as his wife. Again, wife, not concubine. That's a big step. I mean, at this moment, can we call Prince Charming, please? I sincerely applaud his nerve for asking his parents to propose to Milan. Not many men would do this for, uh, for a girl such as Milan, as great as she is. However, during the entire exchange with his parents, his mom particularly, we see just how naive this boy is. He believes that his mother, the haughty princess, will agree for her son to marry a shulnui from a lowly fifth-ranked official. I mean, how little does he know his own mother? She has much bigger plans for her son. He's supposed to marry princesses or duchesses. I think the princess was mad earlier when uh, he proposed this. And after hearing the next kicker, I think she's like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with him? Qi Hong promises that he will do well in the next round of imperial examinations if he marries Milan. I don't know about you, listener, but I saw warning flags all over the princess's face. So Qi Hong says that he'll only be able to study and do well if he marries Milan, not he'll study, do well, and then marry her. Qi Hong is predicating his performance on his exams on his marriage to Milan, I kind of interpret this as a threat. I don't know. I'm open to, again, other thoughts, but I kind of interpret it as a threat. Maybe his mom also interpreted it as a threat. But at the end, I'm also like, Ti Hong, what are you doing? You're right now just showing, like laying all your cards to your mom. Also, any mother who's like, I will only do well on my test because 
you know, I want to get married or because I like a girl is probably not going to be very happy. You know, it's like, well, okay, I have to, she, he's basically saying that you have to give me what I want and being a pretty big baby about it, actually. Right. I bet the princess right now thinks Minglan probably, you know, told the young dude to do this, or she must think Minglan seduced Si Hong so that he has no other option but to say this. Grandma Sheng is absolutely right uh, later in the episode. Si Hong will never understand the intricacies of home life, of dealing with mother-in-laws, or the dangers of a duke's house. He is ecstatic when his mother says, yes, I will attend Sheng Changbai's wedding. He believes she agreed to the marriage. Does she say that she at all? She never said that. She never says anything. I read in the YouTube comments of what some people wrote, and uh, they said, you know, the worst decision he made in his life was to tell his mother the truth about his feelings for Milan. And it's true. You are a naive young man with all the right intentions, but execution was not there. <laughs> right. As for Minglan, let's talk about her uh, for a bit, because we haven't talked about her in a few episodes. First up is when Minglan finds out that Ti Hong actually asked his parents for proposing marriage and, uh, and will, according to him, propose to her at her brother's wedding. Despite her previous rejection, to me at least, it's clear she's wavering. She is stunned that a duke, or a soon-to-be duke, would actually ask, and we see that she does like him. Poor girl. Her loving grandmother immediately tries to get these thoughts out of her head, and the bridge between them is just too far. Minglan is in for a rude awakening. I think this is, again, relationship advice to anyone who's listening. I feel like I learned a ton uh, about relationships watching this drama. Beyond that, though, let's talk about Minglan and her excellent handling of the maids in her courtyard. During her management of the household period, each and every person has called her meek, mild, and weak. They've expressed their disappointment in how she's handling her staff, whether it be from Lin Xiaoyang, Wang Ganyangzi, or even her brother, Sheng Changbai. And, you know, they say she's a pushover. Let's applaud her, though, shall we? That's exactly what she needed to do to A, protect herself, and B, clean house. If Minglan transformed into, let's say, Wang Danyangzi, everyone in the Sheng family would be very wary of her. She'd be the target for sabotage, gossip, and she could potentially be murdered by, you know, Lin Xiaoyang. I mean, look at her mother. By keeping a low profile, she was able to keep under the radar of everyone and let everything simmer up until Wang Danyangzi sees it as a boiling point and dealt with everything. Even after the punishment of the maids, Minglan can still keep the charade going. Wang Danyangzi will just think she's a pushover who's good with numbers, and Lin Xiangyang will turn her anger towards Wang Danyangzi. It's a win-win situation for Minglan. Minglan has proved time and again that she can be extremely intelligent and has learned at least some ways of managing women from a household. She is absolutely not a pushover, but knows how to pretend to be one. Interestingly, 
Only two people see the truth about Minglan. One is her grandmother, and the other is Gu Tingye. All right, lastly, let's talk about a couple of book differences. Now, in the book, the young duke Qi Hong does not make many appearances. However, he is infatuated and falls in love with Minglan all the same. In the brief moments that the two have together, Minglan very clearly rejects him. She doesn't have very strong feelings for him, as we see in the drama, but nevertheless, she does have some feelings for him. I mean, who wouldn't? He's Prince Charming. She just, in the book, clearly knows that it is impossible for the two of them. Ti Hong, though, feels a little bit differently. In the drama, Ti Hong plays a much bigger role. In the book, Ti Hong tries to fight for Minglan, but he will be thwarted by his dear mother all the same, and we don't really see that struggle from his point of view until like way, way, way late in the book. The other topic I want to discuss is regarding all of the maids that Minglan has in her courtyard. In the book, Minglan never managed her household, so she doesn't have to deal with all of these shenanigans. And these maids actually do come into her courtyard, and she actually trains and nurtures a couple of them. You know, in the future, a few of these maids turn out well, turn out not well, but they don't get uh, punished or cleared of as Wang Danyanzi does in this particular episode. In the drama, I think they just wanted to keep the number of maids to a minimum so that we wouldn't get confused. I mean, when I was reading the book, I was confused, like, who is this again? Uh, so I think they did a really good job in the drama, just making it clear how Minglan is successful in managing her own household. And that is it for today. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, if you have any comments or questions on the show, uh, please let us know. Email us at karenandkathy at chasingdramas.com or message us on Instagram and Twitter. We will catch you in the next episode. Thank mm-hmm. you.